Today's scripture reading is from 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Please read with me the verses in bold. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this you know, is it not up there? Okay, well, I'm going to keep going because that would have been bolded. Okay, <laughs> but this you know, the spirit, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are, not f we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of God, of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> well, good morning. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for introducing me. Thank you, Di, for reading scripture for us this morning. As you've heard, my name is Crawford Stevener, and I am the college pastor at Stanford, and I like to say when I'm out about in California, you know, sometimes there's, a, there's some eye rolls about Stanford or a little animosity towards identifying with the Cardinals. So if you're a Cal grad or, or if you just think Stanford's too, too much on their high horse, remember the Bible says to pray for your enemies. And so, um, you know, I've got a few students with us here uh, this morning, so be gentle with them. Uh, they're not as tough as they look, um, but... Um, yeah, it's a, real, it's a real joy to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm good friends with your pastors, Brad and, and Daniel, but I have not had a chance to be with you this morning, so it's a real pleasure to be here. Um, but let me, let me kind of begin with a word of prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one true living God. We thank you that you've gathered us here this morning, that no one is here by accident, and that you've brought us here for a very clear purpose, and uh, you know that, so we ask that you will search our hearts. Lord, you make amazing promises about your word, particularly when it's read and preached to your people, that it will not come back to you empty or void, but always accomplish its purpose. So I pray that you will accomplish your purpose and have your way with us this morning, Lord Jesus, by your spirit, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I think this summer you guys are working through the the letter of First John, which is usually considered a, a pretty simple book in the Bible to interpret, although I got slotted with the, the test of the spirits passage, uh, which is kind of an interesting one, and uh, hopefully we'll be edified this morning as we reflect on this together. Uh, this book, while maybe simple on the face of it, uh, is a is, um, really rewarding one to study. Uh, it's far more simple than one of John's other books that we have in the New Testament who authored uh, this letter uh, known as the uh, Apocalypse of John, which is also the book of Revelation. 
uh, the themes in 1 John and Revelation, as I was reflecting and preparing this week, were coming to my mind. It's actually very different kinds of books in the New Testament, but there's a lot of similar themes. And I want to point these out to you at the beginning. Followers of Jesus are called by John to be marked by a deep love for Jesus and a deep love for one another. And the world that John depicts is a world amid strife and spiritual battle among principalities and spirits in the spiritual realm, uh, those that are for Christ and those that are, as we read in our passage, anti-Christ or against Christ. He talks about true prophets and false prophets. And amid this cosmic battle, God's people are referred to as precious children, In verse 4, I think you saw that uh, on the screen, or you heard it at least. Uh, In other words, saying, amid this great cosmic battle, we're like little children. We're we're in over our heads. We need a word from the Lord. And the themes of 1 John and in the book of Revelation are actually, amid this strife going on all around us, uh, Christians are referred to by John as those who will overcome, as those who will prevail, There's a Greek word that links this theme in both books. It's nikao, and it's used six times in 1 John, which is more than any other book in the Bible besides, you guessed it, the book of Revelation, where it's used 17 times. We are referred to both as children, but as those who will overcome, as those who will prevail amid the battle that surrounds us. So this letter contextually is written for us to know how do we stand? How do we prevail? How do we overcome amid this kind of bigger story and this bigger narrative of strife between good and evil? And one of the keys for us given here this morning is in 1 John 4 is to be able to discern what is truth and what is falsehood. What is of Christ and what is antichrist? What is of the world and what is of God. And it's really important for us this morning to know what side of this cosmic struggle we find ourselves. And there's an eternal weight to this question, which makes it a very important one, and it makes it a gospel one. It's a question that always points us to Jesus, because Jesus and his ministry made all sorts of exclusive claims about how you know which side you're on. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when he was teaching publicly, he would, he would contrast his teaching ministry as one given from his Father in heaven with the teaching ministry of other religious leaders where he said, they're of your Father, the devil, which is, a, which is a harsh take. Which side are we on? How do we know? How do we know if we're following Christ or something else? There's this kind of practical question that bubbles down uh, this, from this bigger story of how do we know 2,000 years later if we're on Jesus' side? When we're given with some kind of spiritual wisdom, we ask a friend for prayer or for advice, someone in our community group, or maybe someone straight up claims to be a prophet from God, how do we determine? How do we know? Is this teaching from Jesus? The little heading in your Bible, if you've got a Bible in front of you, or if you're looking on your phone, it might say something like, testing the spirits or test the spirits. Well, that's the, main, that's the main point of this passage. How do you know if the spiritual information is good information 
or bad information? How can you tell? How can you know? In order for us to, to determine this, I want us to first look at the, the original context of the false prophets in the early church. And then I want us to broaden it out a little bit for us today as we consider what do we take as from God and what do we, what do we take as not from him. So first, let's talk a little bit about false prophecy. Again, if you're, if you're new to Christianity or, or if, uh, you know, if you haven't been following along in this series, this might be kind of a, a surprising subject matter to begin with, but I hope you'll see its relevance. John, when he writes the letter to these churches, presupposes, he assumes that there will be people in the church who claim to speak on behalf of God that in fact are not talking on behalf of God. This is what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who claims that they are relaying information from God to you directly, whether it be they heard something and they're supposed to tell you or whether they're sort of acting as a mouthpiece from God. And so in order to kind of wrap our minds around how we receive and discern this information, we have to kind of consider what the, what the stakes are in this message. If a prophet is really speaking for God, the message should be received and obeyed without question. It's not up for debate because when God speaks, his people listen. So you can probably see how power-hungry people, deluded people, maniacally evil people uh, may want to get their hands on this gift of prophecy because they've sort of done the calculation what they say goes because it's supposedly what God has said. And I, I bring that up kind of very candidly because I want you to notice in the scriptures that John, the apostle, is not surprised by this. He's not thrown off by this dynamic that has infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ because you might be in your head fast-forwarding quickly to modern-day church scandals. You may have been a part of a faith community that uh, got really nasty and took a turn because of some of the dynamics being uh, discussed here in this passage. Uh, there are Christian leaders who claim to be speaking for God and are abusive of their power and of their authority. And uh, you might be thinking, where do we go wrong? Like, is the problem with institutional Christianity, with the church, with how we're doing things? Like, like what happened? But I want you to see that this, this has been a problem since the first century. This is not a modern 21st century issue. It wasn't a surprise to John, and it wasn't a surprise to Jesus that there would be people who would come along after Jesus' ministry on earth and claim to be speaking from God, but they actually weren't. There were false prophets in the first century, uh, and they have continued to this very day. Pretty much every other religious movement after Christianity has tried to position itself as receiving a new revelation from God, whether it be something like Mormonism or Islam or some other sort of Christian-adjacent uh, movement. And how do we know? The question that 1 John chapter 4 is beginning to address is, how do we know if this, these movements or these words or these, this, this advice or this direction, how do we know whether it be a big, huge movement or a small like, I think God's calling you to go into the medical field. How do we know if these things are from Jesus? Well, we have to put them to a test. All right, this is our, this is our second point. Testing the spirits. If you look in your scriptures again, verses 2 and 3, John says, 
Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. So this test is a test of discernment, of weighing judiciously whether or not the beliefs attached to this advice um, are pointing us to Jesus or are they pointing us away from the true God? Now, have you noticed, maybe you feel this, maybe you describe yourself this way, there are many in our day uh, that describe ourselves as spiritual, but not religious, right? There's a, there's a vague kind of spirituality that's made a comeback in recent years. And while maybe traditional Christianity or some sort of institutional religious observance seems to be on the decline, spirituality is very much on the rise. And this particular scripture passage, I think, is, is really warranted for us to consider this morning because followers of Jesus are not called to kind of be vaguely spiritual, but to actually be spiritually discerning people. And there's a big difference between the two. Being spiritual is not the same as following Jesus. In order to be of Christ, a person must follow Jesus and his Father in heaven. In order to be that kind of spiritual, you need the capital S, Holy Spirit, who we've mentioned this morning, who is one with the Father and the Son. That sort of spiritual uh, can be put to a test, John says. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry. We don't have to kind of uh, overly sort of fret over, is this about God or not? Because if something is from the Holy Spirit, we can probe further into it and say, is there a proper understanding of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and what he is doing in our midst by his Spirit? Because the Spirit of truth, according to the Bible, always points to Jesus. One theologian refers to the, the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is never wanting attention upon himself. The Holy Spirit is always redirecting attention to Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus taught in John chapter 16, that the helper would come and would guide you in the truth and glorify me being Jesus. And so John, when he's writing this letter to these churches, is trying to help people discern among all the movements and all the noise of, of what do I know is true, he gives this kind of shorthand phrase. He says, if a spirit says that Jesus came in the flesh, you're good. But if he denies that, he's part of the Antichrist. Now you're kind of like, whoa, there's a lot going on there. First, what is it meant by Jesus coming in the flesh? Well, scholars have done a lot of research on this, and, and uh, there's a, there was an, a movement in the early church, a false doctrine that's referred to as, as docetism or docetism. Uh, which is a fancy word for you to kind of brag to your friends about over lunch. But what it means is, is it means that Jesus, like, came down from heaven, but he didn't really become a human being. He only appeared to be a human, so the false teaching went. That God is a spirit, and God sort of came down and kind of appeared in flesh and revealed himself to people, but he didn't really become a human being, which means he couldn't really identify with humanity. He couldn't really actually die on a cross. He couldn't really conquer death and, and rise again because he was only a, a spiritual being that appeared to be a human. This was a false prophecy, a false teaching that was rampant in the early church. 
And John is saying, no, 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 no. If you want to know what's true, probe a little further. Test, did, did Jesus come in the flesh? Was God born of the Virgin Mary? Did God become a man and die on the cross for your sins? Does it point to the glory of the gospel story? Does this teaching point us to the work of Christ? Now, that may sound like, okay, this is like a church history lesson or, or some sort of generic advice about uh, an ancient heresy. But this is, this is where kind of the rubber meets the road. John says, you know, on behalf of the Lord and the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit, a spiritual idea, spiritual advice, the Spirit's moving in your life is not identified by some flashy thing. It's not the speaking in tongues. It's not miraculous occurrences. It's not powerful predictions. Although those things may happen. But the way that you determine the Holy Spirit working in someone is, is the Jesus test. A person full of the Spirit should be pointing to Jesus. So let's fast forward this a little bit to 21st century here in Sacramento. How do we assess whether or not we're growing spiritually? How do we determine whether or not someone that we're in community with, maybe someone that we're interested in starting a relationship with, friend, romantic relationship, how do we determine if someone is, is a spiritual person, is growing spiritually? Well, if you, if you reflect on 1 John 4, we can kind of consider anybody that is full of the Spirit will be focusing on the Son. And if somebody is not full of the Spirit, they're not going to talk about Jesus much. And if you ask them how they're doing, how they're growing spiritually, how they're, how they're processing their faith in life, uh, they'll be talking a lot about what they're experiencing what they think about things, but not what Jesus has done for us. To be full of the Spirit is to be a Jesus person. So I'd, I'd encourage you in your, in your lunch groups, your community groups, your friendships, to kind of ask yourself, when I receive advice or when I give out advice, is it marked by the sacrificial love of Jesus? Can you speak of the grace that Jesus has given you. And perhaps, perhaps even more directly on the nose of testing the spirits, who do you listen to? Uh, and this, this applies whether or not you're a Christian here this morning or you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're trying to process, is this faith stuff for me? Is this, is this Jesus community thing something that I'm about? Maybe you know some people here and you enjoy them. Maybe you hear the potluck is really great afterwards, so you're, you come here on the first of the month. Uh, maybe some interesting ideas are shared, but you're still undecided. And maybe you identify with that kind of phrase. I, I'm spiritual. There's something out there, but I'm not sure I'm buying into all this Christianity stuff. How do you know? How do you know the podcast that you listen to or the gurus you follow are on the right side of this cosmic battle that John is so concerned about? Well, for John, it always comes back to the Jesus test. Are you moving towards Jesus or further from him? Are you for Christ or are you anti-Christ? The anti-Christ uh, is, a, is a big and loaded term that we saw in our scriptures this morning. 
Um, but I want you to see, in context of the passage, the Antichrist is not some political figure in the Republican or Democratic Party. That's not the Antichrist. The Antichrist is not some evil horned beast in like the remake of Dante's Inferno that's probably coming out in a few years. That's not the Antichrist. For John, the Antichrist is a spirit of supposed wisdom that is actually, when you scratch a little further, opposed to Jesus' reign and rule over this earth that gives glory to self or to something else, but not to King Jesus. Now, we could go into details about testing the wisdom of the spirits and, and other religions or sort of cult movements, but I think the place where, where the church today is most susceptible to, to, testing the, to, to testing the spirits or not testing the spirits is kind of the fuzzy stuff around the edges, the more subtle stuff. A pastor friend of mine refers to this as our spiritual gullibility. Uh, where are we tempted to fall uh, away from Jesus? Uh, where are we tempted to sort of uh, get off the path of a life devoted to Jesus? Well, there's, there's a number of ways. Um, one of them is this kind of idea of, well, I like Jesus, I think. I like his teachings from what I've heard, but I don't know about all of his doctrine stuff, right? But as you, as you explore Jesus' teachings a little more clearly, you see him saying things like, before Abraham was, I am, a claim of his eternal being. He says things like, I and the Father are one, a claim for the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, I have come to offer my life as a ransom for many, which means that you and I, as um, Stephen uh, mentioned in the uh, ministry moment, we are actually so far off from God which is the worst news you could ever hear. But the best news you could ever hear is that we are so loved that Jesus gave his life as a ransom to bring you back to the Father. So you can't just take Jesus' teaching without his doctrine. That doesn't really work. And there's this other kind of way that we edit Jesus um, where we kind of co-opt him for our own agendas. And, and we're all guilty of this in varying degrees. Um, a lot of times when we sort of talk and speak about Jesus, um, he ends up looking a lot like ourselves or a lot like our heroes, right? Jesus becomes this like amazing therapist or Jesus becomes this social revolutionary or Jesus becomes this champion of political values rather than sort of receiving who Jesus was as he came in the flesh, as John points us. So there may be a lot of Jesuses out there but you got to put these ideas and spirits to the test. Are you following the one born of the Virgin Mary who lived a perfect life and, and died a death on your behalf so that you could live? The Jesus that came and was crucified for you. That's the test. Do we see and hear this clearly or not when we receive some kind of teaching or advice? Or have we become spiritually gullible? Have we sort of merged Jesus with other movements or ideologies of our time? It's always a danger. This is not a new problem, as I said from the beginning. It's been happening for two millennia. But John says it plainly, and it's just something for us to consider this morning. In verse 6, John says, We are from God, the apostles. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. 
Now, you can read that as sounding like kind of arrogant, right? Like, whoa, okay. Anything you say goes and anything you don't say doesn't go. That's obviously very binary. Uh, but John is not claiming that he's the smartest guy in the room here. He's actually bearing witness to the truth that he's seen as an apostle. He is an eyewitness to Jesus' resurrection. He's been inspired by this Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. And he's giving testimony, and he's saying, there is one Jesus, there is one spirit, and this is how you know. Now, um, just to kind of wrap up again and summarize some of the thoughts here, uh, it's it's sort of an, a, an esoteric and odd thing to be talking about testing spirits um, in our modern age, but it's eminently practical because we're receiving information and advice all the time that determines how we live. And so when you follow, when you hear good you know, spiritual advice or a pastor standing up and, and preaching the Bible or a podcast of your favorite sermon you know, preacher, uh, you need, to, you need to give the Jesus test to it. What's, what is this person pointing me to ultimately? Because a lot of spiritual teaching disguised as from God actually looks a lot like self-help. The Jesus test will not be advice that helps you become the best you you can be today. Now, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with trying to be the best you you can be today, but that's not a word from God. The Jesus test says that uh, spiritual teaching from the Holy Spirit will help you grab hold of Jesus who has died and risen for you and he will grip your heart and wonder and worship and sacrificial love. Now, probably all of us in this room would love to receive a word from God. Wouldn't you love if like your phone started blowing up and you had text messages from God right now or if you just came down and was just like in a hologram, technology doesn't exist yet, and just started talking to us. Like, we would love to be able to sort of authenticate that and have that experience as a community here at Grace Sacramento. We would love it. We would love a word from God. But I want you to consider this morning, we have one. We have a word from God. And we gather around it each week. And you can read it every morning or every night before you, when you wake up or go to bed. It's the Bible. The apostles' teaching has been written down into Scripture. Listen to it. You see, as the, as the early church was like figuring out these heresies and teachings and all this stuff, they were gathering weekly on the Lord's Day, on Sunday like we are today, and uh, they, were, they were waiting on this Holy Spirit that would come. And we, we read about that in Pentecost in the book of Acts. But as you sort of chart through the book of Acts, you actually got to see, like, what is the evidence that the Holy Spirit is, like, with the church and moving and, and God's, God's reign is going from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and, like, the Spirit is on the move, which is what we pray for and we long for in, in the great Sacramento and, and the surrounding region and the Central Valley and the state of California. We want the, we want the gospel to go forward. We want the Spirit to move out. How do we know that's happening? What are the hallmarks of that? Well, there's a summary statement in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, of what the early church was really about. And it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the Bible, the fellowship, that's one another, the breaking of bread, we'll do in a minute, and the prayers, which we've done right now. 
So if you want to be a spiritual person, if you want to grow spiritually, let's not be overly consumed by those claiming to have an inside scoop from God or the new hack for growing as a Christian or being more spiritual because God in his kindness has revealed himself plainly to us. He's shown himself to us. He's given us prophecy and then he's devoted into writing, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so to kind of zoom back out again, if we're in the middle of this cosmic conflict, if there are powers that be that are far greater than us as God's little children, how do we prevail? How do we overcome? I mean, that sounds like such an epic conflict. You feel like you'd need some sort of tool that's like a lightsaber or something like more interesting to sort of cut through the the, the powers of darkness. But the way to prevail is like a little child sticking close to Jesus and his heavenly father and looking to his word as a lamp to your feet in a dark place. And this kind of teaching and sort of, you know, mentality is not going to lead to the next New York Times best-selling, you know, book on like breaking, you know, this bad habit and like creating a new best life for you. But this is the Jesus way. This is the Jesus test. This is why Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. In Grace Sacramento, this church stands in line with the churches throughout the ages as it seeks to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. That's why you've been so kind to listen to me for the last past half hour. The fellowship. I hope you got a sense of the fellowship of God's people week after week here as you come and as you break bread together and share life together, as you seek to to promote the love of God in this community, in the world. You're devoted to prayer in this service and beyond. And now, as we close, we get to enjoy the, the breaking of bread the remembrance of the Jesus test, of the fact that God did come in the flesh in Jesus, that he gave his body broken for you to make us part of this family where we're brothers and sisters together under the lordship of Jesus.